WBCA Radio is proud to present City Talk, where fascinating conversation is alive and well, with your host, Boston Radio veteran, Ken Meyer. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another edition of City Talk on WBCA Radio. And uh, we have a very interesting and very special guest on this broadcast. He is the president, chairman of the board, whatever, of the Mass Broadcasters Association, and also former news director of WBZ-TV. And uh, his name is Peter Brown. And Peter, it's finally good to have you on the air and be able to sit down and chew the fat, as they say. Well, Ken, I'm honored. Um, I hope I live up to the introduction you just gave me. (laughs) Oh, you will. You will. Trust me. Now, as I always like to ask people for the first time, when and what got you interested in the media itself when you were in this world growing up? Well, that's a really good question. So I I think I have to give my dad credit for this. Uh, My dad was a minister. And so uh, as a young lad trying to not squirm during the church service on Sunday mornings, I decided I was going to take notes on his sermon. And then we'd have a Sunday lunch and sitting around the table. And I would then offer up my report on his sermon. And uh, he just got a kick out of that. Um, And I think that was kind of the early start. And then as it began to form and develop, I like to say that I was a post-Watergate journalist. Following that all very closely, I'm giving away my age by giving that historic event. Um, but that's really where it where it all began for me was just really seeing how the media and journalism truly was the fourth estate. It was the watchdog of government and society and and an observer. And that really intrigued me. Now, I was old enough to remember when President Kennedy was assassinated and also when Watergate was around. Does Watergate mean for you the the time that, to use an old cliche, television came of age? Yeah, I mean, I think actually I too remember the horrific day of uh, the assassination of uh, President Kennedy. Um, You know, and what I really remember is the uh, the 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 funeral uh, procession that that took place and uh, Walter Cronkite um, narrating uh, the pictures and and the event um, you know the moon landing again another one these are all times to me where where television came of age yeah I remember the moon landing very well we my parents and I sat up at eleven o'clock on a Sunday night and uh, watched uh, Neil Armstrong uh, and Buzz Aldrin and uh, Collins. Uh, Michael Collins. uh, Michael Collins, that's right. I couldn't remember his first name. (laughs) But I can remember that week. It was was a great time and a, a great weekend. Now, obviously, you got experience, I think, I would assume, uh, going to college and uh, getting into radio. When and where and how did that all happen? Well, actually, it started for me when I was in the fifth grade and they had a community, some kind of community program 
um, where you could participate in one of your outside interests. So for me, it was radio. I loved radio. And I will share this story to show how naive I was when I was just a little whippersnapper. But when I'd listen to the radio at night before I go to bed, of course, it was the old rock and roll back from the, you know, the 70s, 60s then and, and 70s. Um, but at one point, I actually thought all the bands were actually in the radio station and they don't <laughs> play. <laughs> but once I grew up, I got a little smarter. Um, so my first venture into uh, into the medium was I got a chance to go in to a radio station. I was living in Connecticut at the time and got to go take the bus into Hartford and go to a radio station. WDRC AM and FM in Hartford. And I originally really wanted to be a disc jockey. Um, and I think I've never stopped wanting to be a disc jockey. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Dick McDonough was the afternoon jock and he could not have been nicer. But he would help me. I, he would ask me, you know, select some songs, go pick up his commercial carts right the old carts ken you remember yep. those from radio Days? i remember those very well yes sir and then i got an opportunity uh to go explore elsewhere in the newsroom and i became in intrigued with wdrc and they had the best name ever for their news it was called wdrc ear witness news uh -huh. and the news director was a gentleman by the name of Walt Dibble. <laughs> and Walt took me under his wing and let me do some practice um, sessions, obviously, you know, off the air, but, you know, with the microphone. And he actually let me write a couple of stories for him, you know, probably the weather report. But I became enamored with this idea of radio and being connected to it. And so when I was... Um, uh, I was a, then let's see, I was a sophomore in college living in Rhode Island. And in college, we had these trimesters where one of the trimesters, you basically had it off and you could do, you ex could explore outside study. And I really preferred just to sleep and sleep in late. And one day my dad came up and I'm sleeping all, you know, 1230 and knocked on the door and said, you know something, you need to get your butt out of bed. And if you want to be in the media, you need to go get yourself an internship. So I started calling around to the various radio stations in Providence and wound up getting an internship at WJAR Radio which no longer exists. It's something else, but it was 9.20 a.m. And the, the radio, there's a radio and TV station combo, and it was owned by the Outlet Department Store in downtown Providence. And the radio and TV stations were on the top floor of the department store. So in order to go to the radio station, you had to go up through men's clothing and bedding and all that other kind of shoes to get to the uh to get to the uh radio and tv stations but i i did that for um for a a, a summer and then one of the gentlemen who was there got sick 
and he was the weekend guy. And the news director said, how'd you like to try it out? You be our weekend guy. Because of course, nobody else wanted to work the weekends. And I'm sure, why not? So I became the weekend news guy in WJAR 920 AM and still have some of those old radio checks from that time. So that's kind of how it all began. Okay. And you eventually uh, went to WJAR TV. Am I right? Yeah. So after, after, um, after WJAR radio, um, the, the program director, who I guess took the entire summer off, came back, heard me on the radio and said, who's this kid on the radio? <laughs> no, we need, we need somebody who's got a little more resonance to their voice. So I didn't think I was that bad. But <laughs> anyway, I, I went out and started exploring for other opportunities and went to the world famous WKRI radio in West Warwick, Rhode Island. That was in the basement of an old business, had asbestos in the ceilings that would continue to drop on your on your keyboard as your on your typewriter as you would. And I was doing weekend morning news, splicing tape, cutting it with a razor blade, all that kind of stuff and um, did that for a while. And then there was an opening at another world famous radio station, WKFD in Wickford, Rhode Island, the Radio Lighthouse, which again, <laughs> no longer exists. Um, but I had an opportunity to be the um, a disc jockey there. My true love, I was a disc jockey. Spinning the hits on 1370 <laughs> WKFD. And, um, and then their news guy left. So this is while I'm in college now. I was at the University of Rhode Island. Uh, and um, and became the uh, became the news guy there. And one day, a friend of mine who worked at WJAR TV, who I got to know from WJAR radio, remember it was a combination radio TV station. He called me up and he said, there's an opening for a weekend producer. You ought to try for it. And I thought, wow, I don't, I'm not, I don't have the skill set. He goes, what do you, wh why wouldn't you? So challenged me. And I went in, had the interview. It was the hardest interview I've ever had in my life. Tested me on geography, news of the day, writing test with time limits, um, created different scenarios. How would I react to them? And who knows, maybe somebody paid the guy 10 bucks, but I got the job. <laughs> and um probably my father called him up <laughs> so i was the um i was the weekend producer uh, when i was in um in college and then uh it always seems i luck out when people leave the 11 o'clock producer at wjr tv left and the news director came to me and said how would you like to produce the 11 o'clock news for us and I said, well, I'm still in college. <laughs> and he said, well, your call. So I went to my uh, professor, my uh, my counselor, so to speak, and asked him. And he kind of hesitated. And I'm like, wait a second. We're talking about I get an opportunity for a full-time job and you're questioning this? <laughs> so uh, anyway, it all worked out. And it was great because the professors could all watch my newscasts. And that's how they graded me. 
my final was basically my 11 o'clock newscast. Uh, again, true, you know, luck and great opportunity. Uh, as I say, good, you know, good luck uh, was, was very much a part of my life at that point. And um, so, yeah, the interesting part, Ken, though, was when my boss would call me after the 11 o'clock news each night and either say, hey, that worked out or think about this next time, et cetera, et cetera. But the professors who were more theory would <laughs> critique me and say, yeah, we didn't like the way that flow worked. I said, yeah, you might want to call my boss because he actually liked it really, really a lot. <laughs> so thankfully, my my Spartan Alec uh, point of view didn't hurt me. And I graduated from the University of Rhode Island. You, I can tell, had then and still have an unquenchable love for not only the business, but radio itself. I mean, I, I got hooked when I was in the third grade. Um, we went on a field trip to WHAM in a place where you spent some time in Rochester, New York. And I remember standing in a studio and a gentleman named Ross Weller gave the station ID and I stood there and thought, wow, someday I'm going to do that. And I knew it in the third grade that I wanted to get into radio broadcasting. So tell some of our audience. I mean, everybody would ask me when I was a producer, what does a producer do? So when you were at, at WJAR-TV, what did you have to do in putting a newscast together? So it, it was it's so interesting because back in the day as the weekend producer and the 11 o'clock producer, I actually did 80 percent of the job. So you had a reporter or two who would go out and cover a story and come back. But it was my job to lay out the newscast from a one to, you know, the end of the end of the show. It was my job to write every word in the newscast from the opening to the close including all the commercial breaks and all of that it was my job to uh get the video find the video uh or either it was shot by one of our crews to um to edit that if we did any any voiceovers meaning if the um if the anchor read copy and there were pictures over it that's called a voiceover so i had to edit all that tape as well uh, I had to time the program. So it's my responsibility to make sure we're there at, at 6.00 and we're <laughs> off the air at 6.28.25. And if, if anything went wrong, it was my problem. Um, I had to put in all the, we call them the lower thirds, uh, chirons, the names that appear at the bottom of the screen. I had to put all of those in. Someone else, a technician, Put them actually into the system, but I had to create them and give them over to a technician to enter them into the system. So all of that. Okay. How long were you there before you got, as they say, the dream job and working at, at WBZ TV? Well, so I was at uh, I was at uh, WJAR for almost two years, and then. Um, I actually, I couldn't get to WBZ from WJAR. They wouldn't even talk to me. And I was looking at other jobs around the country. And there was this job in Lincoln, Nebraska. I thought, <laughs> wow, 
I'm going to go to Lincoln, Nebraska. And then this other job popped up, the 11 o'clock producer in market number three or four, Philadelphia. And I said, what the heck? Let's give it a shot. As my friend at JAR TV who convinced me to try for the weekend job, his, his voice was in my head. And I went for the 11 o'clock news job at WPVI, the ABC affiliate, and got the job. So I was there for about two years. And it was, it was, it was a big market and a big city and big egos. And it was, and I was 25 years old. And again, had a lot of responsibility. But when you go to a bigger market, as you know, Ken, there are more people to help. So I wasn't editing video. My job was really working on the coordination of all the elements of the show. I did a lot of writing for it and uh, and then had to time the show. Uh, it was it was action news, right? The old adage, if it bleeds, it leads. Yeah. Well, yeah. PVI is where uh, that actually started. Um, they, I could write a good three alarm house fire in 12 seconds. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and everything, it was video, it was pictures, it was constant movement. Uh, much like in this market, you know, WHDH is more kind of the action news uh, right. format. There's always constantly something happening. And um, so I did that for a couple of years. And then um, uh, saw an opening at WBZ and really wanted to come back to, to Boston for family. And um, so I went from w, uh, WPVI was the number one television station in the country for audience size. They were, I want to say, close to a million viewers on really big news nights. It wasn't a million, but it was close. But again, back in the day, that was, you know, that was 1980. Let's think that was 1980, 81. Uh, okay. when you had three channels, right? There wasn't cable right. TV. There was channel right. three, there was channel 10 and channel six, and maybe a couple of independents in Philly because it was such a big market. Did you ever meet Mike Douglas? I never met Mike Douglas. He was uh, he was definitely before my time, but I'm, I I think he was at W. He did his shows out of PVI. Either that or it was KYW in Philadelphia where he did the shows. Yeah, actually, I think that's where it was. Is was KYW. Now that I think of it, but uh, I I thought maybe you were both there at the same time. Now, what do you remember as you are? I mean, I can sit here and tell you stories about my accomplishments that I remember at, at BZ and WEI, but as a producer in Philadelphia, before you got to BZ, before you got to BZ, what will always stick with you as a highlight of your career there? You know, unfortunately in, in news, as you know, Ken, oftentimes it's tragic events that, um, that stick in your mind. Yep. And, um, and the one story I remember that um, that really stuck in my mind because we really did an incredible job of covering the story in a, you know, back then they were not everything was breaking news like it is now, you know, there's <laughs> a, you know, there's a car fire, it's breaking news. Yep. Um, but uh, it was the night that Air Florida went down to the Potomac 
Ah. And, um, you know, again, that would have been probably 81, maybe. And, mm-hmm. um, and there was video because obviously with Washington, the networks were there. So there was video and we produced one heck of a show. And when I say we, I mean the collective team, we all got together. Um, and that night we had the highest rating ever recorded at PVI and it was more than a million viewers Wow! who tuned, tuned in to watch. And we were, what you feel good about at the end. I mean, even though it's, you know, it's horrible lives are lost is that you're able to bring news to the public. And that's what I always believed in. I always believed in that when I was, you know, in my later years at, at WBZ, I remember having this conversation with my dad on a day when I was just frustrated with, you know, the, the, the business of news was becoming a business with dollar signs, you know, and the arrogance of the journalist in me was, what do we, what do, why wouldn't we do this? Forget about the money. This is good for the public good. And so I was getting kind of frustrated and I called up my dad. It was always a great sounding board for me. And I'm like, you know what? I've had it. And he said to me, you know what? I hope that's not true. He said, because we need, now he was my dad, so we were saying nice things. He said, we need people like you who will tell us the news because you tell us the truth. We need truth tellers in this world. Okay, this is back in the 90s, right? Even before any of this current stuff's going on. He said, we need people we can trust. And he said, I trust you and I know that many other people do. Boy, that got to me. And so I, you know, I, I stayed on, obviously stayed on longer. But um, anyway, sorry, I got off track there a little bit. That's all right. That's all right. I, You know, an, another famous name, at least that I know, and I'm sure you may have heard of too, that spent time in Philadelphia, and I'm not sure if she was at your station or not, was Jessica Savage. Oh, right. So Jessica, she was at KYW. Yeah, she was oh, okay. before my she was my before my time. When I was at WJR, she was the weekend anchor. And oh man, boy, was she talented. Such a tragic way to to end when her car went off the road. That was a really that was horrific. Yeah, I uh, I always felt bad. Um a friend of mine from BZ Radio interviewed her. I mean, she was crazy about her. And she interviewed her and she came back and said, you know, this is a great interview. Where, where can I air it? And I said, well, I'll tell you what, we'll put it on my program. When I'm on the air, you come in the studio, we'll talk about it. We'll play the interview. And it turned out to be a great move because when Jessica Savage lost her life so tragically, BZ Radio had an exclusive recording of Jessica Savage and uh, obviously played it on the air. So that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's serendipity, right? So much of life and news, it just happens and it's, and it's hard to explain, but being there at the right time and lady luck is always plays a part into all of this. Yep. Uh, In fact, there's two books on Jessica Savage. I, I, one of them was called almost golden. Um, if you ever want to read it, I can't remember who wrote it, but um, it was a, it was a great book. And she also spent time in Rochester 
um, at a station WBBF, and she was she was driving around in the B mobile, and uh, they had ear witness news as well. But she, <laughs> okay. she spent some time in Rochester, and I can remember listening to her on the air. How about that? So that's great. That's great. Now you now I. BZ, uh, you know, here you are with the cream of the crop, and I'm going to mention, and I hope I get the, the uh, times right for people, but people like Jack Williams, Joyce Cohaywick, Bob Lobel, Bruce Schwegler, all those great names. Uh, did you get a chance to rub elbows and work with those guys as a producer? And oh, director? yeah. So I got to work with them all as producer and also as their their boss when I became news director in 1993. Um, yeah, they, um, they are terrific. And you, and, and don't forget Liz Walker, right? Oh no. I mean, we were the, we were the, the great team uh, and all the writers and reporters, um, you know, everybody, all the technical crew, the photographers, uh, you know, it was such a team effort at BZ. I was so proud to work with, with all of them. I, so when I left Philadelphia, I actually, so here I am at this station that's, you know, getting almost a million people a night. And um, and I, I came for family. So I came to Boston and I started out producing the noon news. And because I wanted to get in the, in the door. And as I said, BZ wouldn't even look at me when I was in Providence. <laughs> um, and... Um, Anyway, make a make a long story short here. So I, I landed there and then was doing the noon for about, I don't know, less than a year. And um, and I got the opportunity to move over to the 11 o'clock news. And then from there, I did the six o'clock news, which was back in the day for your audience. Remember, uh, folks who remember this, the WBZ, the WCVB newses were hour long programs at six right. o'clock there was no four o'clock news you know bz was the first one in the market to venture outside six o'clock they did live on four at 5 30 and um so yeah so it was uh, all those all those great times and all the incredible people the assignment editors um you know the folks who played back the tape the directors the technical directors the audio folks it was all such a great team and everybody was playing at the top of their game. And we loved the competition. Our competition was CVB and CVB would never admit it, but we were their competition. We made <laughs> each other better. So I went to a retirement party last night for Janet Wu from Channel 5, who's, yep. you know, been on the air for decades. Yep. And um, and I went with because um, BZ had to show its flag right at the Janet Wu Channel Five going away party or retirement party, and um, and I dragged Andy Hiller uh, along oh. with me. Andy, of course, being the great political reporter, last at Channel Seven, but for years at WBZ. And so um, Wu Hiller and I are, are 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 chatting it up and. And uh, and I looked at the two of them and I said, you know what? Hiller made you better and Hiller Wu made you better. <laughs> and, it's, and it's true. And it's true. We really, really slugged it out and in the nicest of ways. 
And what was so nice was when it came to competition, forget about it. We wouldn't tell them if their pants were on fire. But after work or seeing them socially, you know, just had so much respect for for each other and and what we uh, and what we did. I miss guys like Jack Williams. I was very close with Bob Lobel uh, and and miss him as well. And I I miss Schwegler. It's I, I know that the staff is good at BZ now, but for some reason, it's just it's not the same anymore as it used to be. I don't know if the camaraderie is still there. It's a different environment. You know what I one of the reasons why I left back in 2004 is it's changing. It's changing. The world is changing. We're streaming now. We just cut the cord at, at our house. We don't even have cable anymore. Our TV really? channel is YouTube. We are streaming YouTube. We are too, as a matter of fact. Yeah. We have YouTube TV. We just got it about a week ago. Yeah, I know. Um, it's, it, it's, it's great. And, you know, I mean, even look at, you know, back in the day, what salaries were when I started as news director in 1993. I will tell you that salaries have probably dropped about 30%. So in 1993 to now, what are we what are we talking about? 30 years, right? Is yep. and you think about inflation and all, salaries have dropped 30%. So you're talking about the you know the folks that 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 you would pick up from smaller markets. Again, my story, I couldn't even get an intro to anybody when I was in Providence in Boston. I had to go somewhere else before I could get back to BZ and I happened to go to Philadelphia. But, um, but, but again, it's just, it's a different world, uh, different demands. Um, I wish there was more time spent on news relevant to us. A friend of mine at, um, at an, I won't say the station, but a friend of mine who is new to one of the stations in Boston he said to me, and he he was working uh, for a newspaper. He said, "I never realized how many cars went to how into houses until I got into television." <laughs> I know it, it must be. I mean, do you with with all that's happening and all the uh, all the problems with police and like in Memphis, Tennessee, which is occurring now, and the George Floyd incident, and 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 uh, things like that. Do you sometimes often wish that, you know, the the old smell of the grease paint and the roar of the crowd, and you were back there at BZ? You know, I I I I I I have I haven't. The the one day I did miss it because we spent a lot of time and effort on the story was the day they captured Whitey Bulger. Uh-huh. That was the one day. Because we had produced this content in advance because my call to the to the team, the, the, the staff at BZ was the moment we um, know that Whitey's been captured, we're going to get on TV and we're going to stay on TV. So we needed to have enough stuff to be able to sustain a, a prolonged period of time on the air. So, you know, the historical piece, the biographies of Catherine Gregg and 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 Whitey and the people who'd worked on it and the John Connollys of the, 
you know, the FBI and all that and had had interviews lined up. We, in fact, even had a retired um, FBI special agent that I had hired to kind of be our eyes and ears for when and if he was captured. So had that whole package of things together. And it was really funny because the day he was captured, I got a call from the news department. I, you know, I think I'd be gone like eight years and they said, do you know where all that Whitey Bulger stuff is? <laughs> I said, you know, I don't I haven't emptied the wastebaskets there in a long time. So I, I cannot <laughs> help you. But uh, but that was probably the one the the, the one day um, that uh, that I missed it. I, I, I will tell you the things that I really loved doing, though, was the uh, couple of things. I love the snowstorms. Uh, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a weather geek. Um and the second thing I loved, uh, the Boston Marathon. Uh, I got a chance to produce the marathon on TV for 22 years. And Ooh. it was so much fun to do. I would Even when I was news director, I said, I've got a, either a producer or executive producer. I moved into the executive producer role and then kind of an advisor to the rest of the team because I had to hand it off because I was going to be going to be leaving. But the last big event was the Boston Marathon for me in 2004. I, I loved it because it was all about live television. There's nothing like producing live television where you're winging it and you don't know where the next piece of news is coming from. Um, it's really, it, it's, it, it just uh, kicks the adrenaline in and, uh, and, and, and keeps you going. Um, but that, those are the ones that really um, I really got a, a lot of fun. And people thought I was nuts in my uh, interest in weather. Now, again, you know, this is back in the early 90s before Stormageddon on every station happens when you get an inch of snow. But um, <laughs> but I remember some of the really good blizzards that uh, that that hit this area. Oh, yeah. I was here at the blizzard of 78. And I can remember calling my bosses at noon and saying, do you want me to come in? And they said, no, no. If you're home, stay home. Don't go anywhere. I was home for a whole week. Oh, my <laughs> I'll gosh. I'll never forget it. Yeah. Never forget it. Um, sports. Uh, the Boston Celtics were in their heyday at the time when you were there. Uh, the Boston Bruins. You left. I don't know when you left in 2004, but. I'll bet when the Red Sox did what they did, you kind of wish you'd have stayed there longer. Well, I'll tell you a little story about that. So I was working at Brigham and Women's Hospital. Uh, I left BZ and got an opportunity to go be the head of communications uh, at Brigham and Women's Hospital. One of the best jobs I ever had. What an incredible institution. Again, the talent among all the folks at the Brigham is just remarkable. Um but I, um, I had developed over time uh, a good relationship when I was at BZ with Mayor Menino. The mayor would call me up and actually ask for our weather report when a storm was coming. Because I think he kind of knew what a weather geek I was. So I talked to him about, you know, precipitation levels and wind direction and all that kind of stuff. And so the mayor and I, over time, just we just developed a very good relationship. I could call him up and... Oh, he'd love to call me up and yell at me and all that. <laughs> um, so I'm at the Brigham and um, and I'm on my I'm actually on my way into work. And the Red Sox have won 
is are up 3-0 against the, the Cardinals. And so phone rings, cell phone says, Mayor Menino. And I'm like, Mayor, what's up? He goes, <laughs> what are you doing today? And I said, well, I'm going to work. He said, well, maybe not. And I said, okay, what's up? <laughs> he said, we're not having this conversation, but I want you to ask your boss if we can borrow you. And I said, okay, keep talking. He <laughs> said, we need to plan a parade, but I can't, we can't talk about it. So I need you to be in my office at 10 a.m. because we need to talk logistics. So went in, sat down, had a bunch of people there and started talking about it. And the original plan for the parade was it was going to leave Boston College and come down Commonwealth Avenue. But then as we talked to the Red Sox, and again, nobody wanted to jinx anything, though. So it was really a tight, tight conversation group. Um, but um, got some inkling that the Red Sox didn't want to go to Boston College. So make a long story short, uh, Red Sox win the fourth game. The next morning I go into the mayor's office. It's the mayor. It's me. It's Larry Lacchino, it's Dr. Charles Steinberg, and it's the Red Sox trophy. And we start talking about this parade and laying out what the plans are. And um, remember, we'd already had a couple of Patriots parades, so we're thinking somewhere around that kind of route, how to make that work. Um, and then we came up with the idea of, well, let's, let's start it at Fenway Park. I said, because we can have Nesson provide a camera um, and microphone for all the stations to take some kind of feed from uh, from Fenway Park. And every everybody can have their reporters there at Fenway Park. And um, and then we'll roll the 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 the, the, the duck boats out of Fenway Park and down and basically follow the same route as the Patriots um uh go and um so that was all working out and then the mayor who to this day i don't think got full credit for it it was the mayor who suggested hey and we can put the duck boats in the water i think the socks have taken credit for that idea but mm. i was in the room and i know it was the mayor who suggested it and initially they they said no 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 we can't do it the the players won't stay long enough. And then, of course, it came the question of bathroom breaks if this parade is too long. But long story short, uh, it was going to stop at the um, it was going to stop um, uh, down uh, just past, the, you know, at City Hall. And um, and then the conversation started to pick up again. And it was the players were on board going into the water. They thought that was pretty cool. The problem with that is in order to get from City Hall into the Charles, you have to go over state roads like Storo Drive. So they had to bring in the mayor, uh, the governor. Governor Romney was the governor at the time. And I actually have written up a piece that maybe at some point I would submit to the Globe as a op-ed or whatever feature story about being in the room 
for that 2004 first Red Sox World Championship parade. And it turned out, it turned out great. It was, uh, you know, it was the pinch me, a moment of a lifetime to be in the room when you're helping decide how to do it. And they wanted me there because of my TV background. What do we need? What will TV need? How can we make this work? Because we wanted to lay it out for folks in advance and not have TV try to take control of it because there'd just be too much. And it had to happen too quickly, right? The Red Sox yep. wanted to get it done like two days later after they won. So anyway, that, that was too long. My apologies for that. Oh, no, 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 no. It was not too long at all. Now, uh, completely getting away from that for just a second, you married a young lady whom I used to listen to on WRKO Radio, and you've been married for over 40 years. First of all, congratulations. And, well, and thank secondly, you. It's, it's Deb Roby, if anybody is lucky enough to remember that name as I was. How did you, how did you meet and how did you get married? Well, I mean, well, obviously, I know how you got married, but <laughs> how did you meet? So we met at the University of Rhode Island where we were both journalism students and I was a transfer in and she was uh, had kind of already been selected by faculty as a pretty much a top performer and really had a lot of uh, had a ton of potential. And um, and, and she and I met at URI. And uh, as they say, the rest is history. Uh, <laughs> the fact that she's put up with me all these years, I don't know why, but I appreciate the fact she has. Um, oh, I think I think she did a good job. <laughs> but she had a she had a great career of uh, great talking about her as opposed to me. She had a great career. She actually followed me at that radio station in West Warwick, Rhode Island, the infamous WKRI, and then went on her own and uh, worked at a bunch of small radio stations in and around New England and then got an opportunity to go. Uh, she was at the all news radio station in Providence too. W.E.A.N., which was owned by the Providence Journal. And then the news director at W.R.K.O., the Big 68, um, heard her one night. He would drive home to the South Shore. Ed Walsh was his name. And he heard her on the air and said, I got to hire her. So he did. And um, she went on and had a great career at W.R.K.O., the talk station at the time, right? Radio, yep. radio had uh, the music had died as uh, as the song goes, um, and <laughs> um, all right, the the big sixty eight rock and roll had turned into talk radio. So she was doing afternoon drive on RKO, and then um, uh, uh, she became news director of then WEEI, which was all news and WRKO. So she had a big 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 job, and then we decided we want to start a family and. Having two news directors in the same house, she said, well, you know what, uh, I would like to start a family. So we did. And uh, our beautiful daughter, Bridget, is now 26, living in New York and uh, and working in media, shockingly. Good for but her. The story I really want to tell, Ken, real quick, is she worked at, you know, BUR, NPR. Yep. Uh, she was one of the first hosts of All Things Considered on WBUR. Really? Is... But right now, Ken, as I like to ask people, what is your cell phone carrier? And <laughs> a lot of times I get the answer to this. Well, it's Verizon. Why? I said, well, you know that 
female voice that tells you how many voice messages you have on your phone, that's Deb. That's my <laughs> wife. And people just crack up, just <laughs> absolutely crack up. And so you can imagine the torture I get every time I call somebody's phone and I hear her voice, <laughs> please leave a message, you know, and I'm like, Oh boy. So, but I love what? the devil, devil capture the, the, the messages, uh, you know, on Twitter and that are all about the Verizon lady and they're not always complimentary. The one I like in particular is one person who tweeted, can you imagine being married to the Verizon lady? <laughs> well, I, I, I would definitely love to talk to her because I worked at EEI for six years um, and, and I loved EEI. I used to listen to EEI and people like Lynn Lawrence and uh, you mentioned Ed Walsh. He worked at BZ for a while on the air in the morning. He did. He, yep, yep. When he, uh, when he left and, you know, Ed's worked in New York at, you know, at the big uh, all news radio stations in New York. He's a rock star, yep. that Ed Walsh. Yep. Let, let's talk a little bit about mass broadcasters, how you got involved with them and how you became the big cheese, or as they used to say about Frank Sinatra, chairman of the board. <laughs> well, first of all, I am definitely not the big cheese. So um, the uh, as, I, as I like to say, I think I left the room and they voted and I came back in and they said, you're the chair. Um, so, uh, it, it's a truly, it's an honor and a privilege to be in a, in a, in a position to be able to recognize some of the tremendous broadcasters in this state for their, um, their just, uh, incredible work that they've done over decades. Um, and we have a lot of, a lot of great members on the, on the hall of fame committee who make the selection. We're now proud to say we're part of the mass broadcasters association as well. And Jordan Walton, their executive director, has been has been again very welcoming and couldn't do it without him. But um, but yeah, so we're, we we great opportunity for me to make a pitch here, Ken, if I may. The absolutely, um, yeah, we really like people to go to the Mass Broadcasters Hall of Fame website, and if you just Google it, there's a place on there to where you can um, um, uh, nominate someone for induction in, into the hall. And um, and we really encourage it. I know this is a Boston, you know, station, but we really do encourage folks to think beyond Boston, um, you know, South Shore, Cape Cod, South Coast, Worcester, North Shore, you know, Haverhill, Lawrence, um, you know, Western Mass, uh, all the uh, areas uh, of the state where there are really solid talent all around who deserve to be recognized. Anyone can make a nomination. Any member of the public can. And then once a year, uh, we select um, a group of folks who will be inducted into the Hall of Fame. And we're actually in that process now. And uh, we will have a, um, a lunch in June for the, uh, for the inductees. And, uh, and, it, and it's really just, I, my job is to really kind of keep the, keep the trains on time and keep moving things along. So, but thanks who, who for the opportunity the, to talk about it. Who else is on the board? Well, let's see, from the from radio time, thinking about the people you might know, Mary Mena um, from the Beasley Group, uh, just a, a terrific broadcaster. She actually was just named New England Broadcaster of the Year or State Broadcaster of the Year 
Uh, she's terrific. Uh, another gentleman with a long career in radio, Peter Smythe. Oh yeah. Um, is I like uh, Peter. Yeah. Is, 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 is on our, uh, is on our committee as well. So um, yeah, we've got some folks from the TV side too. So it's a good group of uh, it's a good group of folks and they come from all varieties of, uh, of both TV and radio. Um, so I think it's a good, a good group to be able to make those selections. Well, uh, the luncheon is June 8th um, for people who want to go tell them, tell them where it is and all the particulars. Yeah. So it's at the, um, at, at the, uh, I guess it's, they call it the Boston Sher Sheraton in Quincy. Um, that's where, where we hold it. It, it tends to be more audience tends to be more folks who are um, either know the inductees, parts of families or 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 folks who are, you know, in the business and want to come and uh, and recognize their friends. Um, so it's been, gosh, going on now for maybe 15 years now, I want to say. Um, and I've really recognized, you know, so many of the names that the audience today would would recognize and 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 know all the you know the great stars from TV and radio, you know you just think about the the Gary Lapiers and Dave Maynards and um, you know Jess Kane uh, yep. and of course you know the great Natalie Jacobson and uh, God rest his soul Chet Curtis, but the, you know the team you mentioned at BZ, uh, all of them are are in the Hall of Fame, and. Uh, uh, so it's, it, it, it really is, it's, it's quite an event. It's quite, uh, quite, a, quite a nice event. Is the phrase breaking news over exaggerated? Oh my gosh. Don't get me started. That's <laughs> <laughs> my ass. me crazy. Everything uh, is breaking news. I know. I know. I know. I, 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 I wish I, I knew why it gets to this point. I, what, when I was at BZ, we're really, you know, breaking news. I was in the era of breaking news when it first started. And, and I would say, look, after two hours, if there are no really new developments in it, it's no longer breaking news. So from there, we moved to developing story, right? If things were still happening. But to me, the breaking news stories are the really big ones. It's not a as tragic as it, it could be, but a you know a fire or an accident as breaking news doesn't make it for me. Um, is there is there too much news? I mean, well, if if you're a news junkie and you start watching it at four o'clock and keep going, the stories at four o'clock are the same ones you're going to hear at six. Yeah. Yeah. No, it it, 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 that's very true. That's very true. Look, what, what has to happen from a business standpoint is the equipment, the personnel, the building itself all cost a ton of dough. So they got to amortize those costs and, and news still gets somewhat of an audience. The audience have, have shrunk dramatically from the times when I was producing the six o'clock news to where they are now. They're just, you know, they're, they're very small, but you know, I just want to say something to all the good folks who are doing the hard work now. I think it's actually tougher now than when uh, when I was in it. A lot of the reporters now are called uh, MMJs, multimedia journalist. What what that means 
is they not only have to report the story, they also are the camera person. They're the photographer. They're the editor uh, for their stories. And I don't know how they do it. I really don't know how you do it because when you're with a when you're with a photographer, they're really your your partner, your thought partner, your production partner. They've got your back in challenging environments, and it's becoming a new thing. So I think the people today who are doing this have really tough jobs because they have so much news to put on the air that they've got to try to be as unique as they possibly can. And look, at the end of the day, as much as I hate to say it, and I mentioned it at the beginning about as an arrogant journalist, why are we counting the cash? This is about the public interest. You know, it is a business and um, and there are stockholders and these are big companies. You know, in this market alone, you have an NBC owned and operated station. You have a CBS owned and operated station. You have a big group station in Hearst. You know, there's there's a bottom line and people really today um, are reminded they've got to respect that. Has the Internet hurt the news on television and radio? Think, yeah. So I think it look, I think it's hurt everybody from the standpoint of we all gave it away for free. And the Internet quickly bypassed all of us on the on, on the highway. And um, look at us. We're on YouTube TV. Right. You know, I mean, uh, look at the struggles the newspapers have had with giving it away for free. And now they're trying to create paid subscription models. But right. it's hard to give it away for free and then ask for it back. And can you give me a few bucks? Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I have thoroughly enjoyed this. Uh, I hope you did. It was an awful I lot did. of fun. And I love to hear the stories. Um, we could sit down and talk for two or three hours and only scratch the surface. I have no doubt of that. Well, I think and we I put the audience to sleep, Ken. That's no, <laughs> no. And I'm sure anybody else that's listening to this uh, is always fascinated by hearing, as Larry Glick used to say, the story behind the story. And I, I right, thank you very Glick. much. I, I thank you very much for doing this. I, I definitely want to work out something and, and have Deb on as well. Um, I didn't know she worked at WEI, and I would love to talk to her about those days. I thought EEI did a better job than BZ Radio does with their newscasts when I used to listen. Um, yeah, that was very, very, very compelling and, uh, and very, very, very good competi competition there. So, Ken, I just want to thank you and and Brett and the team at, uh, at, at BNN and all that. And, and for, uh, giving the opportunity to have this conversation, like I said, I hope we haven't, I haven't put people to sleep, but it really is an honor to be selected by you. So thank you very much. It was, it, it's my pleasure. Believe me. And that will do it for another edition of city talk. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening to another great conversation with Ken Meyer and friends. You can contact Ken by email. The address is kjmeyer7 at gmail.com. That's kjmeyer7 at gmail.com. Tune in next time for more conversation with Ken Meyer on City Talk.